0: start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have Megan from Sensible Literacy here talking all about AAC and literacy-based speech therapy. So, Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your
1: SLP journey to where you are today. Sure. Again, like you said, I'm Megan Stewart. I am a speech-language pathologist. I've been about, I would say, 19, 20 years. I lose track after a (laughs) while. And I've always been in more of the pediatric population. So I know that your audience is mostly middle school, high school. I've dabbled in that a little bit, but the majority of my personal practice has been with the younger ages. But I'm definitely a lot of the things that I do carry over regardless of age. So AAC has always been my passion, my love. And so I've just done that since I've been in grad school all the way up to present day. And then the literacy piece has always been there, but it's become stronger recently. I'm a self-proclaimed book nerd myself. So I read constantly and I always have books on my shelves and always like to incorporate that into the classroom as much as possible. And now just combining the two has really become my real big, strong passion. I love it. I Maybe mean, I'm wrong, but do you think there's some myths out there when it comes to AAC and literacy? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the biggest ones I hear is they're not going to be able to learn how to read or they don't know how to read. Another really big one that I can see the confusion. But a lot of research has come out, especially now with Dr. Erickson saying that symbolating your text for students is actually detrimental to their comprehension and their reading success. So you really want to take that simulation away from it and just have them learn to read the text because otherwise it could get very confusing. I think just flipping mindsets and making sure people believe that students can learn to read is the biggest barrier a lot of times. What would you say is the SLP's role
0: in learning to read for these students slash like the teacher's role? Like where's the separation? I think it's
1: very blurred, especially when you're an SLP in the school system or in private practice, because we only get to see them for a tiny chunk of time. So a lot of the time, again, in that book, Comprehensive Literacy for All, which is a huge, amazing book, if anyone wants to get that to really dive deeper, farther into this, Erickson and Copenhaver say a minimum of two hours a day of literacy instruction Is what students need to be able to get a full comprehensive, robust, comprehensive literacy feel. But they're not saying two hours in one chunk. They're saying like two minutes here, five minutes here, 30 minutes here. So we really have to have those lines be blurred and be happy that they're blurred between teacher and SLP because we can't do it all in our 20, 30 minute time slots that we're in there. We've got to empower the teachers to be able to carry that out throughout the day. And then also stepping back as an SLP and really looking at what they're already doing in the classroom and showing them that they're probably doing a lot of this stuff already just by the nature of their teaching and the nature of their lesson plans. So it's not necessarily an add-on for them. It's just something that they're already doing and they just can think about it in a different way. I love it. Would you say there
0: are any like precursor skills that they need before you start introducing reading?
1: No, none answers. I'm asking oh, yeah. it anyway. <laughs> no, no, there there aren't any. There's none. I mean, you just to go back to the prerequisites for literature or AAC. There are none. So just thinking about typical child development too, you read to the baby. Sometimes even when they're in the womb, we're reading to our babies from the very, very beginning. So these students have those same experiences. They might need a little bit of a different approach sometimes or a little bit longer to learn something or to be able to show us that they know something because a lot of the times it's here already in their brain, they just don't know how to get it out to us. So no prerequisites at all. Just the only prerequisite would be for the person who's trying to teach it to make sure that we've got the right mindset going into it. Love it. Do you have favorite books to use with this
0: population? Oh gosh,
1: (laughs) so many. That's a hard question. So you can see my bookshelf that's sitting over here. It's packed full of books. (laughs) I just love any book, and I know that this may sound cliche, I feel like I can pick up any book and use it with kids. So I definitely have my favorites. like my personal favorite is Harold and the Purple Crayon. I just have loved that book personally for myself and then to use in therapy as well. I love those interactive books that have touchy-feely components to them or lift the flaps or anything like that motivates them, the students to interact with that but also just a book that has nice pictures because you don't have to read the text. So a lot of the time I may pick and choose things out of the text really depends on what we're working on. But wordless picture books, any picture book, if it's got a picture that you could talk about, you can ignore the text sometimes and just talk about the picture. So that's why I think that, like I said, I could really take any book off of a shelf and Make it work. Now, would it be the best well played lesson? Maybe not, but sometimes those are the best because you have it planned and you're just rolling with what the kiddo
0: wants to do. So I love it. And what would be some question or prompting and things you're doing with the student while you're reading the book?
1: A lot of open ended questions. What do you see? What do you think they're going to do? Especially for like middle schoolers and high schoolers, I think pulling in a little bit more of their thoughts and their ideas into it as well so that you could still pull out a what would be maybe thought of as like a kid's picture book and still use it with an older population just talking about different things and then just keeping it very open-ended and really watching the students especially if they're students that are nonverbal or non-speaking and really watching what their body language gravitates towards what their eyes gravitate towards I do a lot of commenting on what I see that they might be interested in. Or if they're reaching towards something in the book, then I'll say, oh, it looks like you like that picture. What's happening in that picture? And just talking them through it. So there could be some questions sprinkled in there, but it's more of a conversation as well. love it. Can
0: you explain what would you recommend SLPs do when they have students that they're not sure if they can
1: attend to sitting through a book? I have a lot of those students and i see them all the time. So even if they're just they have a book and they're rapidly flipping through the pages, taking one word and saying, if you're doing an AAC lesson and you're focusing on core words, you could do turn or go or again, if they want to read it again and again, you can do that. Or if they're just they're done with that one and then I'm going to move on to another book. There's lots of words you could model there. You can also just sit next to them. And read, because we also have those students that are like, I don't want to talk to you. You can go away now. This is my time. So you can just sit next to them and kind of like parallel play where you just sit next to them and you just read and maybe comment on, oh, I see that in your book. This is what's in my book and try to build that connection that way. And even finding
0: book prints that have their interests, like even putting SpongeBob in brown bear or whatever it might
1: be. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I think that's a great, that's great. There's also a really good resource that brought to mind is, I'm not sure how many people know about it, but it's called Tar Heel Reader. If you've been around AAC and things like that, comprehensive literacy, you've probably heard it, but it's out of the people in the University of North Carolina put it together. So there are a ton of books already made out there that you can pull down by subject interest. So especially for the older students, if you want to have you're looking for a Spongebob book because this kid really loves Spongebob or they really love race cars or they're super into horses. You can probably find a book there, but there's also an option for you to create your own. So that's something that you could do within a lesson and show the teacher how then they can make books within the lesson too, or a book for the class, that then they can go back and read that as well. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a trade book or anything like that. You could pull in books that you've created circulars from newspapers or magazines or anything like that, all of that is literacy and reading skills.
0: I love it. Especially for your older ones that are doing a lot of the vocational training and things like that. Absolutely. Love the idea of circulars and catalogs and all that fun.
1: Yeah. So if you're going to go on like a community outing and you're going to go into the grocery store, maybe swing by a week or so before and pick up the ad or pull it up on the internet. All of us are online all the time, every day. So it doesn't have to be like paper in front of them. It could be something that they're reading as a PDF or something like that on the computer as well.
0: It gave me the thought, even like a menu, an online menu. Absolutely. Food, like anything that has words and reading and engaging things that could be motivating. It doesn't always have to be a principal book. Exactly, yep. I love it. Can you share like your favorite lesson that you've
1: done? A lesson that I have done Multiple times with students, the book is called I'm a Dirty Dinosaur. So while it was created, it's probably for a younger audience, but you could absolutely tweak it for older audiences as well. We would read the book. It's basically a dinosaur and he is dancing around and then he gets into the mud and he gets all dirty and then he dances around and then he jumps into water and he's clean. What I did with that book, we read it once and then I had some dinosaurs and a little tub and I put chocolate pudding in that tub. And then they were able to put their dinosaurs in the tub and then they danced all around. So it was a sensory component for some of my friends, too, who had a little bit of maybe excited by that or maybe averse to that. And then they would get the dinosaur out and they would wash him and they would clean them all up. And then we've also done painting with the dinosaurs or painting with pudding. Afterwards with those lessons and not just you get a whole bunch of literacy, obviously, but then you get a whole bunch of AAC practice with that as well. So like for your older students, I'm thinking of the school that I work at. We have a living lab that has a kitchen and all of that. So the students could work to make the pudding as well and read that recipe. There's another literacy component. So that one. And then the companion book to that is I'm a hungry dinosaur. And I did that, but we made cake and we had frosting and sprinkles because all of that's in the book. Those are my favorite lessons. Those really hands-on lessons.
0: Love it. Oh my goodness. So many ideas. Can I find gummy dinosaurs anywhere to put oh, in the how fun would that be? That would be awesome. I thought that gotta be that idea. on Amazon or something. Or-
1: <laughs> They've gotta be
0: out there somewhere.
1: I'm sure somebody I mean, like a mold, the a
0: chocolate mold of a dinosaur. Sky's the limit now. Absolutely. Limit. Great ideas for sure. And I've even seen the dinosaur egg activities where you can break the egg. Like
1: <laughs> Yes. Yes. Or what are the, the kinder joys that you like open up and there's like a toy inside of them or something like that? Yeah. So many follow-up activities. I love it. And on the
0: flip side now, I'm going to give you a flip side question. What has been your biggest challenge so far?
1: Personally, for me, sometimes, and this may sound odd, but it's to remember to meet them where they're at. Sometimes I find myself wanting to jump ahead and wanting the students to know something or do something faster or on my timetable, and they quickly very quickly remind me that this is not on my timetable. This is on their timetable. And it's mostly I have that frustration because I know what they're capable of and I know what the end result can be because I've seen it with other students. So learning patience and continually pacing myself in that and being okay with it being a marathon and not a sprint because it truly is. I love
0: it. That's such a great reminder. Also, like to even piggyback off what you said before, like you can take one book and do so many different activities with it. Like it doesn't have to all be in one session. It can be dragged out over a month and this and that. And you're going to see that progress in the end.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It's more about us thinking that we're bored, but they are definitely not bored by the Mm -hmm. same story being read over and over
0: and over again so true. Everyone is thinking about, okay, wait, where can I get gummy dinosaurs? And yeah, yeah. dinosaur eggs. And oh my goodness, add to cart on Amazon right now. Yep. Thank you so much, Becca. Where can
1: everyone learn more about you and everything you have to offer? I have a website called Sensible Literacy. Everything basically online is Sensible Literacy. And it is S-E-N-S-E-A-B-L-E. And that is by design because... I was focusing on the sensory piece and actually my logo has a whole story behind that on my Instagram. You can find that or you can message me because it's sensory and it's able for they are able. That's how it's all put together. But yep, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok on my website, all of it. So I'd be more than happy to chat if anybody wants to reach out. I love talking about AAC and literacy. I love it. And
0: definitely check her out because she has a lot of amazing tips and tricks and ideas to offer. So thank you so much. This was so, so helpful. I everyone listening to more books with my students. I'm not going to stop thinking that they can't handle it. And going to check out Tar Heel Reader and Hungry Dinosaur and Dirty Dinosaur going to be added to cards. <laughs> yes, I hope so. They're great. Right. So I always end my episodes with a joke. And since this episode is airing in the fall, what did one autumn leaf say to the other?
1: This is hard for a Florida girl where I don't even know if we get on them for a day. Maybe. What did he say? I'm falling for you. Oh, I know. (laughs) I love it.
0: Fall, multiple meaning words, language, all about it. I always have a joke of the week in my speech room. It's a way to build rapport and have some fun with some language at the same time. I'm going to
1: go share that with my boys when we (laughs) hang up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so, so much, Megan and everyone listening. Have the best week, best day. Stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.